0: is my coach Charlie and Charlie I know we talked some on Friday about how you love a good bye week I'm not gonna lie as much as I love Georgia football I love a good bye week too but did you make the most of your bye weekend
1: yeah it was really beautiful on Saturday
0: what did you do just hang around do nothing
1: We got to go to tennis
0: yeah I know you were very upset about that but things kind of ended up working out uh, I gotta give a big shout out to UGA women's tennis assistant coach Drake Bernstein for reaching out and hooking, hooking us up this weekend. I don't know if Drake listens to this show, but we got really fortunate. We're really thankful that Drake kind of reached out and got us on the uh, the pass list. He didn't actually watch in the women's tennis this weekend. We went every day. Did you go every day this weekend?
1: I didn't go Sunday. You didn't
0: go Sunday because yeah, the weather's kind of nasty. Yeah, was, I
1: couldn't figure out what time they were going to start.
0: Yeah, but Friday, Saturday was a lot of fun. And uh, what was your take on the team? They look like they can make another run in the spring? I think so, yeah. I mean when you've got Katarina Jokic back, I mean you always got a chance. Yes. But it's not just her, like we have we I know, and I know everyone wants to hear football talk, because that's where our minds are right now. But we always love to throw a little bit of love towards our tennis program since they don't get near as much attention as some of the other sports on campus. And you can really make the argument that they are the most consistently successful programs on campus. But we really do appreciate Drake going out of his way to help us out there. Making it possible for us to watch a little tennis this weekend. It was a lot of fun, so we really do appreciate that. And and from what I saw, I know it's just one tournament, but from what I saw, and if you also go back the past couple of years, it's basically the same team that returns intact. And what I saw is a team that is yet again poised to make a run once we hit the spring season. It's not just Cat, it's the whole team, right? Now. Like, we have so much depth, and we don't. And Leah Ma wasn't even out there, who was our number two singles player last year, he's a true freshman. So I think this team is really set up for another big run this spring, and be a lot of fun once we get there. But it's football season. We had a great time watching tennis over the weekend, but uh, we got a lot of football to talk about today, Charlie. And I know it's unusual to start the week off with the mailbag episode, and that wasn't the original plan. Originally, this first episode of the week was supposed to be our mid-season report card, but Curtis was on his way back to law school after a weekend back home, and apparently he got stuck in some pretty serious, he said road work traffic, so we're going to go with that and could not get back in time to record but no big deal you've got to be able to adjust on the fly and charlie gotta give her some credit here was awesome enough to be willing and able to jump on today on short notice so just a slight adjustment to the schedule this week we're kicking the week off with the mailbag episode and curtis and i will record the mid-season report card episode later this week we'll bring that to you guys in a couple of days and since we made this change on such short notice We weren't able to put much of a call out for questions, so there aren't quite as many questions as we would normally have. And if you still have a question you want us to cover, feel free to keep those coming all week long. We'll try to work them in at some point later this week. But even though there aren't as many questions, the questions we did get are still awesome, as always. You guys never let us down. So, Charlie, let's go ahead and get to it.
1: All right. First up, we have a question from Shane, and he wants to know, after the Alabama loss, what percentage chance would you give Georgia to make the playoffs this year?
0: Oh, percentage are so tough. I'm just kind of pulling a number out of thin air, but uh, I'll play that game. Percentage chance to make the college football playoff. Not win, just make them. Yes. Make the playoffs. Well, that's a great question to kick off the show with today. Percentage chance, I don't know. I'm kind of just going to have to pull a number out of thin air here. Percentages are always tough because, like, what does that even mean? Especially in this 2020 season when... Some conferences are playing 11 games, some are playing 10, some are playing 8, some are playing 7, some conferences have fans, some don't. It's, there's just no telling how the committee is going to view things this year, so this is a really difficult question, but I'll give it my best shot, and I'll say 30% right now would be our chances to get the college ball playoffs. That's not based on anything other than my gut, but if you look at where we are right now, certainly we're not in as good a shape as we were prior to the Alabama game, because prior to that game, we had zero losses. We were undefeated. Now, after that game, we have one loss on our resume, so we're not in as good a shape as we were. That's pretty clear. It, but yeah, that was a loss. And yeah, I mean, a loss is a loss, but I would argue that that loss is about as good of a loss as you can have right now at this point in the season. I know a lot of people will look at the final score and say, wow, well, Georgia got blown out. I mean, they, they can't deserve to be in the college football playoff right now. Like, they shouldn't even be in the conversation. But if you actually watch that game, you know that we were not only in that game, but we were leading in that game for about two and a half quarters. And yeah, sure it's a four-quarter game and we end up losing the last quarter pretty badly, pretty definitively, but the fact is like we more than held our own for the majority of that game. It was certainly not a blowout. The final score is not indicative of how competitive that game was for the majority of the game. But we did lose that game. That that's what happened. And another loss along the way means we will have two losses on our resume. And here's the concerning thing, a two-loss team has still never gotten into the college football playoff. Obviously, though, the circumstances of this season are very, very different. All the conferences are kind of doing their own thing, and it's just really hard to predict how the college football playoff committee is going to measure all of that. Now, really, to me, it comes down to whether we beat Florida. If we can beat Florida and not screw up somewhere else along the way like we did to South Carolina last year, because let's not forget, guys, last year if we don't screw up at home against South Carolina— we're still probably in the college football playoff, almost certainly going to get in the college football playoff. We probably wouldn't have done much once we got there with how we ended the season, but we were probably going to be in the college football playoff. So if we can just beat Florida again and not screw up somewhere else along the way, I think that we're going to have a really good shot because then we would almost certainly get the rematch with Alabama. If we win that game, obviously we are in the college football playoff. But if we lose we'll still be sweating it out on Selection Sunday, but if we can get to the SEC title game, get that rematch with Alabama, win the SEC East, and put up a, comp- even if we lose a game, make it a competitive game like it was for most of the, of the first matchup, we'll certainly be sweating it out, but I think we'll still have a shot. It certainly depends on what happens in the other conferences. There's Ohio State, who I think is almost certainly going to go undefeated this season. If you look at the Big Ten right now, I know it's only one week, But based off what I saw this weekend from the Big Ten, I find it highly unlikely that anyone is going to beat Ohio State unless Ohio State just comes out there and wets the bed and beats themselves. That can happen. It's college football. Crazy things happen. But I just find that to be highly, highly unlikely. I think the issue for Ohio State will be, will they actually be able to get in all nine games? I have an eight-game regular season plus the conference title game, but there are no bye weeks built into the schedule because they waited so long to get started. So what that means is if there is a COVID outbreak, not maybe not even just on Ohio State's team, but on a team that they are scheduled to play and they have to cancel that game, that's just going to be no contest. They're not going to, they'd have no weeks to actually make those games up. It's not like the SEC where you have Florida had an issue and I think Vanderbilt had an issue, but that's okay because you have bye weeks built in and you can move things around. The Big Ten doesn't have that luxury. So if there is an outbreak either on Ohio State's team or on a team that they're playing, then that's just a game they're not going to get in. So are they going to get in a full nine games or they get in six games, seven games? I, I don't know what the answer to that's going to be. And if they don't get in a full season, how does that impact how the college football playoff committee views them? And how does that impact their resume? And you also have to look at the big 12. What happens, let's say right now, Oklahoma State is undefeated. What happens if Oklahoma State goes undefeated? That's, that, that is something that if you're a Georgia fan, you do not want to happen because, like, obviously, we want to win the SEC and play our way in. We don't want to have to be waiting on pins and needles on Selection Sunday, seeing there were two losses, just hoping for the committee to do something that they have not done, make the unprecedented move to put a two-loss team in. It could happen this year if it's ever going to happen. It's probably going to be a year like this, but you don't want to. You don't want to be waiting on that kind of scenario. But like, let's just say, guys, it'd be really great if Oklahoma State lost somewhere along the way. They still have to play Oklahoma. They still have to play Texas. They actually have Texas this weekend. So I think Oklahoma State is probably going to end up being in the Big 12 title game right now. They look like the most complete team. Their defense is actually playing really well for an Oklahoma State team. And they got Spencer Sanders back, at quarterback. So they have that kind of three-headed monster on offense. Defense is playing pretty well. And the Big 12 has just been so average this year. I mean, some of those losses early in the year in week one to Arkansas State, Louisiana, that really hurt that entirely because they don't have any other out-of-conference opportunities to make up for some of those uninspiring losses. They just don't have any opportunities to get a high-profile out-of-conference win to really kind of compensate for some of those losses. So if Ohio State gets a full season in and they go undefeated and Oklahoma State goes undefeated en route to the Big 12 title, then I don't think we get... I think you have Clemson, Alabama, and then Ohio State and Oklahoma State. I think in that scenario, those four teams would get in and we'd be on the outside looking in yet again. But if Iowa State doesn't get a full season, if they somehow end up blowing a game that they should not end up losing, because I don't think there's anyone on their level right now in the Big Ten, or if Oklahoma State loses a game, because I think that's all it's going to take. If you look at the Big 12 right now and you look at kind of their profile from a conference standpoint, I think if Oklahoma State loses a game, even if they win the Big 12 title, if they lose a game, I think that opens a door for us if our two losses are to Alabama. They were two very competitive losses. Our only two losses were to the, the number two team in the country. That would give us a real shot. Again, the, the, the committee has just never done that. I think that we had a better argument. I think we had a better team than Oklahoma each of the past two years, but it didn't matter because the committee went with the conference champion. That's who they went with. They didn't go to the team that was probably the better team. They went with the team that had one fewer losses, even though they played a weaker conference. That doesn't matter. The Big 12 has been weaker every single year, but it didn't matter because Oklahoma was able to get there with one loss to that weak schedule and win the Big 12 title, and that was enough to put them in the Cotchwell playoffs. So I'm not overly confident in our chances if we don't win the SEC. But I, I still think there's a chance. It just depends. And, and who knows? Let's say Oklahoma State somehow ends up losing two games. Or the Big Ten, the Big Twelve champion loses two games. That's look at the scenarios right now. Iowa State, they now have two losses. Oklahoma has two losses. Texas has two losses. The only undefeated team is Oklahoma State. So if they lose to Oklahoma they lose to Texas, which is certainly possible, I don't know if I would say it's likely right now, but it's possible or they lose to Kansas State, which is possible, then I think that that obviously opens the door. But I just, I I have no way to know how the committee is going to view this season. They've been big on data points in the past, which is why the Big 12 had to reinstitute the title game a couple years back. That was, was what, five or six years ago now, with Art Bryles and Baylor, and then you had TCU had two really good teams in the Big 12, but neither one got anything got left out. There was no Big 12 title game. They They did not have that extra data point. That's literally the argument that the committee used, they just didn't have that extra data point. So, what does the Big Twelve do? Well, they go ahead and they add the Big Twelve title game back into the picture, and that certainly helped them in the past couple of years, get Oklahoma in the past three years. So does that precedent carry on through this year, even though we have these crazy COVID circumstances? Or do they give teams more leeway and say, Yeah, we you know it's not your fault that you're that you only got seven games in? We'll give you the benefit of the doubt and we'll just base it on what we saw, which would be a big reversal from what they've done in the past will they, how will they judge conference strength? It's really tough to determine how you're going to schedule conference strength when most conferences are not playing non-conference games. The SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12 not playing non-conference games. And the, the conferences that are playing non-con games, like the Big 12 and the ACC, they're not playing anyone with a pulse. They're all playing baby seal. So how do you measure conference strength? That's just really difficult to know. So do they even take that into account? I just don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. So with all that uncertainty, I can't sit here and say that I'm confident. What I can say is I feel like we almost certainly have to beat Florida and find our way into the SEC Championship game and get get a rematch with Alabama. If we win the game, we're clearly in. If we don't, I I don't think we're dead. I don't think we're completely out of the picture. It's just going to be really tough, and we're going to be sweating that out, and it's really just going to depend on Number one, what happens in the other conferences? And number two, how does the committee view this season? What are their metrics? What are the metrics that are going to drive their decisions? And we just don't have the answers to that right now. So I'm just not overly confident unless we win the SEC. But I do think we need to get to the title game. And I feel good about our chances to beat Florida. I know people are really down on stats and in the offense right now. and I understand that. I I'm, can't say that I'm super confident in what we have the quarterback position right now. But I do think that we're a better team than Florida. That's no guarantee by any stretch of imagination that we're going to win that football game. But I still like our team. I like our coaching staff. And I think we can find a way to win that game and get ourselves an opportunity to play Bama again in a rematch in the SEC Championship game. And and we'll see what happens from there. But I I think 30% is about right for how I feel right now. But again, that's just me grabbing a number out of thin air. I, I don't know how to quantify that exactly.
1: All right how much Jalen Waddle's injury impacts Georgia's chances in a potential rematch with Alabama?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a popular question right now, and I certainly think that it helps us. I don't, I, I'm I torn on this. Again, yes, it certainly improves our chances to beat Alabama without Jalen Waddle. A big part of what they do offensively and why they're so dynamic offensively is they have multiple elite NFL-type wide receivers. It makes it very difficult to defend them when you have a quarterback that can distribute the ball as well as Mac Jones is doing right now. And you also have an awesome offensive line that protects the quarterback really well. And you have a great run game. You have a senior running back who is going to be a Heisman Trophy contender all season. Like It helps to have all those guys too. But I really think the key to this offense is their passing game. I mean, it's the fact that they have multiple elite NFL wide receivers. And when you take one of them away it absolutely allows you to do different things from a coverage standpoint. When you have two of those guys out there, and Mechie isn't quite at the level of Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. He's certainly coming along. and He's a really good receiver in his own right. He very well could eventually become a guy like that, but he's not quite there yet. So when you take a guy like Jalen Waddle out of the equation, you have one true elite wide receiver left in Devontae Smith, who is really, really good. That guy is an absolute NFL wide receiver. But now, all of a sudden, you can do some different things schematically from a coverage standpoint. You can shade to his side. You can shade a safety over the top. You can bracket him a little bit. Yeah, you might leave Mechie one-on-one at times, but I think we're okay against John Mechie in man coverage. Jalen Waddle's a different story. We saw him make us pay to the tune of over 160 yards in that matchup a couple weeks ago. But yeah, it certainly does improve our chances it'll give us the ability to get up in the face of Devontae Smith a little bit more, get our hands on him, play a little press man coverage because you can put a safety over the top, and just take your chances with guys like Slade Bold and John Mechie on the outside in more man coverage, which I think that we can handle. I feel really good about us handling Slade Bold in man coverage, and I feel pretty good about us with with Mechie as well. So I really do think it frees us up to do some different things schematically from a coverage standpoint that maybe we weren't able to do in that first matchup, but the reason I'm torn is that I don't I don't like beating teams because they're shorthanded because you know that's what people are going to say is, oh yeah, they couldn't beat him when they when they had Jalen Waddle. And I guess it really ultimately doesn't matter. All that matters is you get in the college football playoff and you win the SEC title. That's really what people remember. But I, I, I like to beat teams when they're giving you your best shot. I don't like to beat them when they're shorthanded. A win is a win. I will take any win. And right now we're shorthanded as it is, as we had a guy who probably is the most talented quarterback on the roster in JT Daniels, who's not playing right now due to the lingering effects of an ACL injury. So I, I guess we could also say, yeah, well, they beat us without J.T. Daniels because he wasn't able to play. I mean, you, you you can argue that all day long, but still, I just I like to be able to beat teams when they're at their best because there's no excuses. But again, a win's a win, and if we're able to beat them without Jalen Waddle, I'll take it. And Charlie, if you don't mind, real quick before we get to our next question, I do want to remind everyone about our friends at MyBookie. Between the NFL, college football, the World Series is still going on. There are so many games to watch, and that means there are thousands of lines available on all of your favorite sports and events. You can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to bet the big favorites, consider putting a couple in on a parlay for a much bigger payout. But don't forget about the underdogs; they have a ton of value too. The thing about the NFL, you guys watch NFL every Sunday. Underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too with my bookie. They've got everything you guys would need. They got game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets presidential props. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports, and so much more. Really everything you guys could ever imagine to bet on. They've got it. All you have to do is sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie.
1: All right. Cliff has another question and wants to know, what improvements are you looking to see from the defense over the past two weeks?
0: Well, number one, we've got to do a better job from a defensive backfield standpoint of winning those 50-50 balls. And I don't even know necessarily if they're really 50-50 balls anymore. I mean, I know that's the cliche. Hey, it's a 50-50 ball. I think it's more like 70-30 balls. I, I would give the offense... You know, much more an advantage in those plays. They know where the ball is going, and, and the rules just favor them anyway. But we've got to do a better job of when the ball's in the air, attacking the ball and not allowing the receiver to come down with it. Whatever it takes, just don't allow the receiver to come down with it. Because against Alabama, that's honestly what it was. Our 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 DBs, it, for the most part, were in good position. Yeah, we had that long touch. It was it the 91 yard touchdown of Jalen Waddle? Tyson Campbell just falls down at the end, but he was in pretty decent position. I think that ball still would have been completed, but it probably wouldn't have been the 91-yard touchdown pass. But you have the the touchdown pass to Devontae Smith in the end zone. Our DBs were in pretty good position most of the night. Not every single play, but most of the night we were in a pretty good spot. The problem was, we were just not winning those 50 50 balls or 70 30 balls, whatever you want to call them. We were not winning those contested balls. They were coming down with them. And offensively, on the flip side, we were not coming down when we had our opportunities. And that's not, I know that's not the question, the questions about the defense, but that's the biggest issue right now at least from what I saw against Alabama, is those receivers are really, really good and they go up and they attack the football. Yes, they're fast. Yes, they're athletic, but they also have really strong hands and they are able to go get the football and they win those battles at the top of the route. We've just simply got to do a better job of winning those battles at the top of the route and find a way to, I mean, I'm not even saying necessarily come down with the interception, but just do not allow those balls to be completed. That's the number one thing that I saw in that game that really gave them the edge late in that game is they just won those balls and we didn't and that was the difference in the game.
1: All right, next up, Princess wants to talk more about the defensive backs and Kirby getting out-schemed consistently in big games. He also states that Stett is who he is, but there is a way too much talent on defense to be giving up 500 yards and 41 points.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I just kind of mentioned the defensive backs there in that last question. But, yeah, they certainly did not play as well as they needed to in that game with Alabama. I will defend them a little bit, though, and just and – put out there that, yes, they need to play better, but those Alabama receivers are legit. It's really, really tough in this day and age of modern college football with the way the rules are structured, with the way really things just everything favors the offense. Now that you can run RPOs, you can have offensive linemen four yards on the field, so your, your, your defenders read run, but it's actually a pass. It's really tough to defend. That's, they, they can't do that stuff in the NFL. You don't see that stuff because it's against the rules. In college football, it's allowed. So it puts the defense at its advantage. There's no doubt about it. But that that is the way it is and you've got to adjust and you've got to make plays. And now they receiver receivers are really really talented. When we are in a position where you have so many of those receivers, well, they at least they did 2 weeks ago. From a coverage standpoint, there's very little that you can do other than play those guys in man coverage. You have two options. You can either play them in man coverage or you can sit back in zone and let them just pick you apart with those underneath routes that they that they take for 20 30 yards. That's what they do when they get the ball out for the catch. That's what Ole Miss did the week before we played them, they they just played zone all game long, and they gave Alabama those underneath routes, but they would throw a little five-yard pass, and Waddle and Smith would take it for 20, 30 yards, and they did that to the tune of 700 plus yards as a record for Alabama in total offense in a single game, and obviously, I know that we're a lot better than Ole Miss defensively, we have better personnel, I get that, and if we had employed that strategy, they probably wouldn't have put up 700 yards, but you're basically just giving them free throws if you do that all game long. And those guys after the catch are really, really explosive. So I do think the best option is to play them in man coverage, but it's really, really difficult because we can't do what we'd like to do defensively from a defensive back standpoint. Kirby for a long time has been a strong advocate of kind of mugging those guys. Strong press man coverage on the outside, getting your hands on and being physical. And we do that almost all the time. But we didn't do it as much as Alabama because of the blow-by factor. Those receivers have the speed and the explosives to blow by you. If, if you try to get your hands on them and they are able to get off that press, they're gone. You are not catching up with them. I don't care if you're Tyson Campbell. You're not catching up with those guys. So we played off of them a little Yeah, we we're playing man coverage. We're played off of them a little bit more than, we, than we're used to. In our, in our TVs, that's not their game. The reason that we're typically successful in the defensive backfield is that we just beat up some of those receivers. We get, we get our hands on them. Seth Williams, I mentioned this last week against Auburn, we absolutely beat up Seth Williams. Tyson Campbell was all up in his grill all game long, being physical, getting his hands on, pressing him at the line of scrimmage, and we completely took Seth Williams out of that game. But Seth Williams is not as explosive as Jalen Waddell, not as explosive as Devontae Smith. So if he gets by you, you can still catch up, because Tyson Campbell's a great athlete. With Smith and Waddell, it's much tougher to do that. So you play off him a little bit, and then you give him some of those easy throws. It's just a tough... And also, when you don't press them like that, they have a two-way go. And now when they get that free release, it's extraordinarily difficult with the way the rules are structured with what you aren't allowed to do defensively and trying to defend against the the, the pass. It's just really tough to handle when you have multiple receivers that can do that because you can't really just, you can try to take one of them away, that's fine, but you're still going to have one of those guys that's free in man coverage and he's going to beat you all night long. So it's just a really tough ask to defend those guys. And look, our, our DBs, like, they're not perfect. We've got to do a better job, like I said, of of winning some of those 50-50 balls at the top of the route. There's no doubt we've got to improve there. We have to improve our eye discipline. That's one of the things I get frustrated with. Go back to week one, that that uh, game against Arkansas. The long touchdown pass we gave up. Richard Account gave up on that play. It's because his eyes were in the backfield. He got he got caught looking in the backfield, off the play action, and the receiver ran right past him. And we do that too often. We, and honestly, we've been up too many big plays this year. That's been one of Kirby's MOs since he got here is to eliminate the big plays if at all possible. Make the teams go 10, 12 plays on the field and execute all the way down the field and score on you that way. That's fine. You cannot give up the big plays and we've got to do a better job of not allowing ourselves to lose those 50-50 balls and give up those big plays because those are just easy scores. So right now, we're not good enough offensively as we saw against Alabama to match them score for score. We've got to force them to kick field goals. We did a better job of that in the first half. In the second half, we just, we just didn't do it. We just didn't execute. It was that simple. So yeah, we definitely have to improve in the defensive backfield, win some of those 50-50 balls. Um, but I would I would very respectfully and slightly disagree about Kirby getting out-schemed consistently in big games. I know that when you look at the box score in Alabama, that's 500 yards, 41 points. That That's tough, and especially when we have as much pride in our defense as we do, and we think as highly of our defensive unit as we do. And we should. It's still a really good defense. You go back and look at the SEC title game last year against LSU, and it performed really well. But I would also say, who did perform well against that LSU offense. I know it was last year. I don't know if we got out schemed. We just, I mean, when they have the receivers that they have, they have three receivers, you got Clyde Edwards Alaire, you got the tight end, and they can basically run their entire offense with the same personnel. They don't have to sub in guys. It makes it extraordinarily difficult to match up with them from a personal standpoint when they can go from 11 personnel to essentially zero personnel in one play and they don't have to sub anybody out and that makes it very, very difficult to match up with them. So I I don't know if that was so much schematics as opposed to just being that LSU offense, having the personnel that made it so difficult for any team in America to match up with them. I thought we did a pretty decent job for the most part. We gave up too many big plays in that game as well, but all things considered, compared to how everyone else played them, I thought we did a pretty decent job. Not a great job, obviously, but a decent job defending them. And I'll go back to the Alabama game, the national title game in 2017, the 2018 SEC championship game. I thought we out-schemed Alabama in those games. I mean, guys, we were outmanned in both those games. Our talent level was not at the level of Alabama in 2017 or 2018. In 2018, we were getting closer to Alabama's talent level. We still weren't there. The fact that we had double-digit halftime leads in those games, to me, that's a testament to our coach's ability to scheme and to come up with a game plan to stop. Think about how well we defended Tua Bailoa in the first half of the 2018 SEC championship game. We out-schemed them in that game. Think about how well we defended Jalen Hurts in the first half of the national championship game. We out-schemed them. Now, yes, Nick Saban did what Nick Saban does and, and made a master move and brings in Tua Tagovailoa. We all know how that story went in the, in the second half and we weren't prepared for, for that. And we know what happened when Jalen Hurts comes in after Tua went down in the 2018 SEC, SEC championship game. But my argument is we did not get out-schemed in those games. We got out-manned and we got out-executed in the second half. What happened in both those games in the second half is that their overall talent advantage, it just started to win out. In my opinion, that's what happened there. And offensively, in in 2017, we just weren't able to keep enough pace with, with Alabama. And in 2018, our defense, we had some personnel issues. It was kind of a transition year between 2017 and 2019. I don't think it was a scheming thing. Now, I'm not saying that our coaches are perfect from a schematic standpoint. Like All coaches make mistakes. But again, I just go back to the fact that in 2017 and 2018, those matchups against Alabama, we did an extraordinarily good job of shutting down those Alabama offenses in the first half. Yes, they made some adjustments in the second half, but I don't know that so much about schemax. It was just, uh, yeah, they bring in Tua Tugamailoa, and he's a better passer than Hurts, and our entire game plan was was kind of thrown out there when he comes in. And, and sure, we, you can argue we should have done a better job of adjusting on the fly. That's fair to argue. And then in 2018, again, I just think our defense... We just we weren't as good as we needed to be on defense. We just could not get any pressure on the quarterback late in that game when when Hurts came in, and that was the difference in the game. It was to me again just a matter of they had a little bit more talent than us those both those years, and that went out in the second half, and they just out executed us. It was that simple. I don't know if it was so much a schematic thing. Now against Alabama this year, there were some things in the first half that I didn't love that we did from a schematic standpoint on defense. You know that first touchdown to Meche, I I'm still just baffled why in that situation we're bringing pressure from the boundary corner and leaving one of their good receivers match up one-on-one of our safeties. I just don't like that matchup. It's not a matchup that we're going to win very often at all. And yeah, they burned us for a touchdown there. So like, there are some things that we can certainly improve on. I think if our coaches had a chance to play them again. We'd see a different team, especially now with Jalen Waddle being out of the game. But if you go back and look at the history of our matchups in some of these big games, I don't know if you can just chalk it all up to scheme. I I don't think that's the case. I think it's more about execution and, and some of those matchups just not being quite as talented as the opponent.
1: All right. Let's switch over to the offensive side of the ball. Darren wants to know what is going on with George Pickens. After the way he ended the 2019 season, he should be having a much greater impact, and he wants to know why he hasn't been more of a factor this year.
0: That's a million-dollar question. That's a really important question. We've got to find a better way of getting George involved in the offense. But there's a couple of things going on here. First off, I would say I, I, I totally appreciate the question. and and respect where you're coming from. And yeah, I do agree that we need to get George going. We need to get him more involved. But I do think he has been a factor, maybe not in terms of actually putting up massive yardage totals, but the attention that he has drawn from opposing defenses has freed up guys like Kiaris Jackson over the middle of the field. And also we saw Jermaine Burton against Alabama get some more one-on-one looks. The reason those guys are getting some of those opportunities is because of George Pickens. Teams have game plan in a way – they say, okay, you know what? Pickens is the only guy right now that we're we're worried about beating us outside, especially to open the season. So let's take him away. Let's put a safety at the top, make it very difficult for them to get him involved in the game on the outside. And we'll just pick our poison that way. And if they beat us with somebody else, they beat us with somebody else. So be it. And you know what? The first two games of the year, we were able to beat them with someone else. Kiaris Jackson was averaging 100 yards a game through the first three games of the year. Jermaine Burton was starting to make some plays in Alabama. And I think those guys are going to continue to grow, especially a guy like Jermaine Burton, is going to continue to grow and become more effective in those one-on-one opportunities if he continues to get those. So I do think he has been a factor, maybe not in terms of him actually catching the football and putting up big yardage totals but he's allowing other guys opportunities to make plays. So I think that is a big part of what he's done for us right now. But yes, we still have to find ways to get him involved and actually make plays himself. And there's a couple of things that I think are holding him back right now. Number one, we're not moving George Pickens around a lot, which is concerning for me. Because when you have an elite receiver like that, one of the things that Todd Munkin, we talk about this a lot in the offseason, one of the things that Todd Munkin has done so effectively as offensive coordinator is he has a history, a long history of featuring his best playmakers, finding a way to feature them, get them the football, free them up. Even though they're getting all the attention from the opposing defense, he finds a way to free those guys up and allow them to make plays and go out there and make an impact. But we haven't been able to do that as much with George. And one of the reasons I believe that has been the case is right now, George is playing one position. He's playing the X position out wide. We have not shown any willingness or ability to move him around to different spots. He hasn't played in the slot. He hasn't played anywhere but the X position. If you look at a guy like Devontae Smith for Alabama, for instance, since we just played them a couple weeks ago, they moved Devontae Smith all over the place. Yeah, he'll play out wide. He'll play the X. He'll also come inside and play the slot. They'll, they'll reduce the split. They'll do a lot of different things with him, which allows them to get really fast favorable matchups against opposing defenses. Thinking back to the, the game against Alabama, right? Remember that one play? They had a big play in the second half where they've got Devontae Smith matched up on Monty Rice. Monty Rice has no chance in that scenario. I actually, thought he did a really good job of staying with Devontae Smith, all things considered, but he has no chance to win that battle. And that's all because Alabama was able to scheme it up and create that matchup because they were able to move Devontae Smith around to different spots in the field. And he's able to do that. They're able to do that with him because he has the ability to play different positions. He knows different positions. Now, he's been at Alabama longer than Pickens has been at Georgia. But I think part of the issue, like the only thing that makes sense to me, is that George right now just doesn't know how to play any other position than the ex-receiver. That's the only thing that makes sense to me because, again, go back and look at Todd Munkin's history. He has a history of featuring those guys, moving them around, getting his best playmakers the ball, doing whatever he can to create matchups. That's what he's done his entire career. So he's just not doing that now. He's just choosing to voluntarily not do that with George Pickens, who's our most athletic and talented wide receiver. I don't buy that for a second. My theory is that George right now only knows how to play one wide right receiver position. He's still a young guy. I mean, it took him most of last year to figure out how to play that one position. He was, he was a work of progress all year long. He he, he made some, some spectacular plays, some, some of those eye-popping wow plays. But down in and down out, he wasn't consistently making those plays because he didn't always know what to do. And that's a young receiver. That I'm not like coming down on George. I'm not trying to beat the guy down a lot of your receivers struggle with that. So I think at this stage in his career, he just doesn't know how to play more than one wide receiver position, which makes it really difficult and borderline impossible for us to move him around, to create some of those matchups that other teams do to us, because he's just not ready to do that from a knowledge standpoint. And I'm hoping that that changes and that he can grow and learn to do that a little bit more. But until that happens, we're not going to consistently be able to get him some of those matchups that he can exploit the way the other receivers do. And that makes it really tough. If he can only play one position, then the defense knows where he is going to be on every single snap. If he can only play the X position, they're going to know where he's gonna be. It makes it very easy to game plan a way to take him away. It's very easy to do that. When when you don't have to worry about him moving across the field and doing different things and line up in different positions. It makes it really, really easy to take him away. So I think that's the number one issue right now and maybe why he hasn't been been as effective as we need him to be right now in terms of actually catching the football. And then the other reason, obviously, is the quarterback spot. Right now, Stetson Bennett has done a good job for the most part this season. Some of his deficiencies were exploited against Alabama. We certainly saw some of those, I don't say for the first time, but they were certainly magnified in that loss to Alabama. But we all know what Stetson likes to do. We've we've covered this extensively the past couple of weeks on this show. Stetson Bennett right now has a strong preference for throwing the football over the middle of the field. He does not like to throw the ball outside the hashes as much as Jake Fromm did. Him and Fromm, like I've talked about, how there's a lot of similarities between them in terms of what they bring to the table from a talent standpoint, what their strengths are. But one big difference between them is where they like to throw the football, where their preferences? From Fromm loved to operate outside the numbers. He made a living operating outside the numbers, especially with those back shoulder throws. Think about how many times we've seen a back shoulder throw from Stetson Bennett. Have we even seen one? I'm trying to think at the top of my head right here. I can't think of one back shoulder throw we've actually completed. We might have attempted one or two. I can't think of one that we've actually completed with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. But From made a living off that. Fromm hated to throw across the middle. I mean, he avoided it at all costs. I can probably count on two hands, the number of times he made big plays across the middle of the field with Jay From a quarterback. He just didn't want to throw across the middle of the field where Stetson is making a living himself doing that. So that's one big difference here when Pickens can only really play one position, at least in my opinion right now, it seems like he can only play one position when that is the outside X wide receiver. Then that just doesn't mesh with what Stetson Bennett does well and what his preference is as a quarterback. He just doesn't throw as well the outside and he doesn't like to throw to the outside as much, at least from what we've seen through a couple games here. I know it's a small sample size, but I think if you factor in that George right now only knows one position, again, my opinion, that's me reading into things, but I think that's to me it's pretty clear, and that Stetson doesn't really like to operate outside the hashes very much, well then that's a recipe for Piggins not being very involved in the passing game. So I I don't know what the answer is right now. How quickly can George learn to play the slot? Can he can he work on that over the bye week? I don't know. Can we just give him a couple of plays to work? Where, like, he doesn't have to know the whole playbook from that position, just has to match for a couple of plays. Can we start to do some things like that? I hope. Can we start to get Stetson to throw outside the hashes a little bit more? I don't know. I don't know if that's really within his wheelhouse. I mean, we know Stetson, he doesn't have like a noodle arm, but it's certainly not the strongest arm. And that makes some of those outside throws a little tougher to make, especially from one hash to the opposite hash. Those are throws I don't know if he's going to consistently make with uh, a lot of confidence so I don't know how much that's going to change right now so like it's frustrating I know that people want to see Pickens get involved and I really do too but until he can start to play more than that one position until we have a quarterback in there that can really throw the ball outside the hashes with a little bit more consistency I don't know if we're going to see Pickens get as involved in this offense as we would like
1: all right next up Paul says that you mentioned before the season that you saw Kentucky as a trap game based on where it fell on the schedule he wants to know if you still feel that way after what you've seen from Kentucky this far, so far this season, and now that the schedule has been adjusted.
0: I think the fact that we have the bye week now in front before this Kentucky game and not play them right off of the Alabama loss, that certainly takes some of the, actually a lot of the trap game factor out of the equation. And Kentucky has been solid. They just haven't been as good as I thought they would be. I'm man enough to admit that. I thought that they would be better than they are. They've been pretty good defensively, but I thought they would be a little bit better defensively. But still, on the defensive side of the ball, they're fine. They're they're still a good defense. Offense has been the issue. And I I didn't expect them to be a dynamic offense, but I expected Terry Wilson to be a little bit more competent. I know he's coming off the ACL injury, but this is basically his second year as a starter. I expect him to be a more competent passer. And I really like their offensive line. I still like their offensive line. I, th- I still think it's a, one of the top offensive lines in all of America. But that offense has been anemic the past couple of weeks. Really, almost all season, it's been anemic. I guess they put up a lot of yards against Ole Miss. It's the only game where their offense has done really anything to speak of. I think they had three 100-yard rushers in that game against Ole Miss. But I mean, come on, it's Ole Miss's defense. They've been playing better, but they're still a terrible defense. But in two of the last three games, Kentucky has not been able to break 200 yards. No, I did not misspeak, guys. They have not been able to break 200 yards of total offense in two of the last three games, and they haven't gone on over 400 yards in any of the last three games. This offense is really, really struggling. The passing game is still not there. I mean, their passing game isn't much better than what it was last year with Lynn Bode, maybe a little bit, but certainly not, not by much. And without Lynn Bowden, their running game is not as dynamic. Sure, Terry Wilson can run the ball, but he's not Lynn Bowden back there. He's not that kind of electric runner. So their offense is having all sorts of issues. And really, the strength of their offense, if you can even call it a strength, is running the football. And that happens to be the strength of our defense. I just don't think that they have anything outside to really threaten us in the passing game, which has been, if there's a weakness in our defense, it's just obviously been defending the pass. The vertical pass down the field and I just don't think that Kentucky can challenge us in that way obviously we'll break this down a lot more in depth later on this week in the Kentucky preview show I actually just went back and, and watched the I watched about a half of the Kentucky Missouri game yesterday but I just finished rewatching the whole thing from start to finish about an hour before this show and that offense has some issues I actually came out of that game more concerned about playing Missouri than I did about playing Kentucky I think Missouri might be the trap game now with that game falling right after Florida that is a game, honestly, that I'm much more concerned about than Kentucky. I think Connor Basley, now that he's been inserted as a starter, as a redshirt freshman, that guy can play. He's good. Damon Hazleton out wide is a good wide receiver. I mean, obviously, we are a better team than Missouri. We're much more talented. But I think that might be more of a trap game now than Kentucky. I, I don't think Kentucky is as good as Missouri. Obviously, Missouri just beat them. And now that we have the bye before Kentucky and then you look at Missouri coming right after Florida, I think that is more of a trap game right now. So I'm not as concerned about Kentucky as I was coming into the year. I was, I mean, I'll be honest, I was pretty concerned about where that game fell because we we had this really tough stretch to start the season, and that Kentucky game was kind of sandwiched right between Alabama and Florida. Yeah, you had the bye week after the Kentucky game originally, but still kind of sandwiched between those two games. It was a classic kind of look-ahead spot against a team on the road that I had respect for. And I still have a lot of respect for that coaching staff. I think they do a great job, but they're just struggling so much on offense right now. And I just don't know if they have the ability to exploit some of the issues that cropped up with, for our defense against Alabama.
1: Three questions left. Next, Thomas says that letting Justin Fields slip away over from is Kirby's biggest own worst enemy mistake. Do you agree? He feels like the way college football is trending speaking about mechanics and recruiting, that this leaves us two years to pull off a national title or we'll get left behind and slip back to middle-of-the-pack SEC.
0: Yeah, okay. So, Thomas, I really appreciate the question. I really appreciate the thoughts. I do want to be fair to Thomas here because he sent this question, I think, right after the Alabama game, and I just didn't get a chance to include it on the mailbag show last week. So I wanted to make sure we get his question here today. So, understandably, like all of us, Thomas was, I imagine, emotional after that loss to Alabama, and I don't want to completely dismiss his thoughts here. I just, I don't know if I necessarily agree with all of what Thomas is saying here, but I do appreciate the question, Thomas, and, I, and I've, I've let my feelings about the Fields versus Fromm debate, I, I've, I've made that pretty clear. Actually, we did a whole show on that last week, if you guys, not on Fields versus Fromm, but just about Kirby's history of the quarterbacks, his past, present, and future, and uh, if, if you haven't checked that out, go ahead and check that out, guys, because I, I try to lay it out as much as I could, what Kirby's done at the quarterback spot since he got here, where we are right now, and what we can expect moving forward the rest of the way this season. And I I did touch on the Fields vs. Fromm debate in that episode. And in case you missed it, just real quick, I know a lot of people have heard me say this many times, but I'll throw it out there again just for anyone who might have missed it, any of our new listeners. I don't think that Kirby made a mistake in 2018 by starting Jake Fromm over Justin Fields. I know the vast majority of Georgia fans disagree with me, at least the ones that I hear from disagree with me there. and And I totally respect that. I just think When you look at that scenario, what I saw from Justin Fields, and yes, I admittedly will say that it was a small sample size. He did not get a ton of in-game action, but what I did see from him when he got opportunities in 2018 is I did not see a quarterback that was ready to operate the offense that we had in 2018 in terms of making reads, going through progressions, he wasn't ready. Guys, he did not play a ton of quarterback in high school. He did not play near as much as Jake Fromm did. He wasn't as much of a finished product coming out of high school as a guy like Jake Fromm. It doesn't mean he wasn't going to be able to get there because the Justin Fields that we see now, and I watched that entire game against Nebraska on Saturday. That guy has come so far from where he was as a true freshman in terms of being able to read the field, understand coverages, know where to go with the football, go through progressions, make reads, all those things. He is doing all that stuff now. And that's what I said back in 2018. It's like, this guy is going to get there. He's insanely talented. And there's no reason to think that he can't get there. He's just, he just wasn't ready in 2018. And I think that Fromm was the right choice for that team in that season. And I know the argument is, well, okay, but you have to know that Justin Fields is going to be the guy long term. So you go ahead and you just take your bumps with in 2018. You hit the ground running in 2019, 2020, and you win national titles both those years. And I get that argument. And, and like if you believe that, then I, I'm not, anything I say is not going to convince you otherwise. And, and there, there are strong merits to that argument. I understand that. But as a coach, you have to put yourself in the position of the head coach. How in the world, and I've said this many times, I just keep going back to it how can you look your seniors in the eyes in 2018 and say, you know what, guys, I'm going to play the quarterback that that I don't think gives us the best chance to win right now. Because I think if we play him now and take some losses this year, take some bumps on the road, that he'll give us the better chance to win next year in 2020, a couple years down the road. I know you guys won't be here to enjoy that, but I think that's what's best for our program in the next couple of years. How can you look your seniors in the eye and, and say that? You just can't do it. That's just not how coaches operate. And maybe you you think that we should make that Kirby should make the hard choice and say, well, screw those seniors, it's, it's what's best for the program. And if you think that, then that's that's great. I mean, I just I don't agree with that. Those guys they work as hard as anybody out there, man, and they deserve every chance to win that season. I think Fromm gave us a better chance to win that season. Oh, by the way, guys, let's, let's not have complete revisionist history. It's not like Fromm was terrible in 2018. Fromm was really, really good with the players he had around him, very efficient in 2018. Maybe you can say Fields would have been more dynamic. Sure, he could make some more plays with his legs, But I I just don't know if, like, Fromm, especially after the the LSU game, he was terrible that year. He was very bad in that game. I mean, I don't want to say he was the one that cost us that game. He certainly was a major contributing factor to that loss, just like Stetson was against Alabama a couple weeks ago. But after that game, he played lights out from Florida on. He played lights out. I don't know, like, putting Justin Fields in the lineup after that, like, was he going to play that much better than Jake was playing? Actually, I think there's a, a world where our quarterback play might have gone down a little bit if you throw Justin Fields in that scenario, because I just don't think you again, was ready to operate that offense. And what do you say? You shouldn't change our entire offense in one week if you want to throw Justin Fields in there? Like, I just don't know if that's feasible. So I, I just don't think that Kirby made a mistake there. Now, a lot of people do when you see Justin Fields light up for Ohio State, and I think, what do you go, 27 for 28, 26 for 27, something like that against against Nebraska and play lights out. Like it, It's tough to see him in another uniform, because he should be playing for us. But I don't know if I blame that on Kirby for starting Jake From in 2018. I think that was the right decision. Now maybe how he handled it and how things went on behind the scenes, I don't know how that all that went on and how what happened there, but I, I don't necessarily think that was a mistake. And I know that's an unpopular thing to say, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. And then the other part of this, the way that Ball is training, it leaves us two years to pull off a national championship where we're gonna get left behind and slip back to mid, mid-pack SEC level. I just don't agree with that because, it's all about the Jimmys and joes guys it's about recruiting it's about having players and we have shown absolutely no sign of slowing down recruiting i don't know why our window is going to close after the next two years we're still recruiting at a level that's as high as anybody in america if not higher than just about everybody in america i don't, I don't know why after the next two years all of a sudden we won't be competing for titles i, I think that we will be i know maybe you can say well yeah, Mullen's going to continue to build his program, sure, but Mullen and Florida are not recruiting anywhere near the level that we are recruiting them, and I don't see why that would slow down. Kirby puts in a ma- an absolute emphasis on recruiting. He's a madman when it comes to recruiting. As long as Kirby Smart is our head coach, we are going to be one of the most talented teams in America, bar none, every single year. Does that mean we'll be one of the best teams and win and compete for titles every year? I don't know. Obviously, you have to coach the players up and put them a position to-, to play and make plays and develop and all those things, but I'd I don't see any reason why after the next two years, we're going to slow down. We're going to continue to recruit as long as Kirby is here. We're going to continue to have one of the most talented rosters in all college football. And honestly, as soon as we get the quarterback position figured out, we are going to win a national title. I don't know if that happens this year. I I have my doubts about this year, obviously. I've made that pretty clear. Next year, we'll see. We'll see what happens with with Daniels. But I am extraordinarily high on Brock Vannegarve. I think he absolutely is going to be the answer for us at quarterback long-term. And uh, as, as well as we've been recruiting around him, I think the best is yet to come. I know that's might sound crazy to some people, but I really believe that. I mean, we are not slowing down at all. I know some people are concerned about what we're gonna lose off, off this defense from this year, and I get that. But guys, we have a lot of talent still coming back on defense. We're still recruiting at an extraordinary high level on that side of the ball. And again, once we get the quarterback spot figured out and continue to bring in top level receivers, then we're gonna be just fine and we're gonna be in a conversation each and every year. That's just kind of where I am on that.
1: All right. Alexander sent in some statistics about the scores of the second halves of our last three games versus Bama. They were 20-7, and 21-7, 21-0. He asked, why do you think we have so much trouble finishing games?
0: I kind of mentioned this earlier in the episode. If you go back to 2017, 2018, they just had more talent than us. And we had a great game plan. i got to give the coaches a ton of credit for coming out and out-scheming them to open those games. But I think their talent advantage just took over. And honestly, their depth advantage in both those years as well took over in 2017, 2018. This year, there were no excuses from a talent standpoint. We are just as talented, if not maybe slightly more talented from an overall talent standpoint, like a one through 85 roster spot standpoint. We're, we're just as talented as they are, maybe more. And I think we have more depth. I, I said that in the show leading up. We have more quality depth in Alabama. The issue is we just don't have the quarterback situation figured out right now. We have a guy that's a placeholder who's fine. We can win a lot of games with him, just like we did with Jake Fromm, but he's not a dynamic guy that's going to go out there and, and, and make a ton of plays for us. And our offense is still a work in progress. We have a lot of young guys, a lot of guys in new spots, new coordinator, new system, no spring practice, all those things that we were worried about in the preseason. Well, it's kind of reality right now, and we're still growing. So I, it's just, I think each of those games is its own game. And there's, it's just different circumstances, different scenarios. And I don't think there's one thing you point to in all of those games like say, well, this is the common theme of why Georgia let those leads slip away. I think in 2017 and 2018, you can say, well, yeah, it's just that Bama had the talent edge and the depth edge, and they wore us down in the second half. That's what I believe. I'm not saying I'm right. That's just kind of what I believe in that in those two games. And then this year, it's a different story. We were just as talented. We just didn't execute as well as they did. They just simply out execute us in the second half of that game. And you can talk up to coaching if you want to say the coaches did not do a good, good enough job of getting those guys prepared to play, didn't coach them up well enough, didn't develop them well enough to where they could execute at the same level of, as Alabama's players. But you also have to remember Alabama's offense, guys, that's a well-oiled machine. Those guys have been playing football for a long time together. And I know Mac Jones is the new quarterback this year, but everyone around him, those guys, whether it's the receivers whether it's the offensive line, whether it's Najee Harris, there is so much talent, so much experience. It's essentially the same system that, that they've been running for years now. And they're just operating as a well-oiled machine. And our offense is still very much trying to figure things out. We're still feeling our way and trying to find our identity through this season. And defensively, like we just, you know, we should be executing. Our defense is kind of at the level of Alabama's offense in terms of these guys have been playing together for a long time. It's a lot of experience, a lot of talent, a lot of depth. But when it came down to it, uh, which side was to make the plays, our defense just did not make the plays in that game. They out execute us. And would that repeat itself if we play them again, if we get lucky enough to do that? I don't think that you can guarantee that's going to happen. I think that there's a good chance that we'll execute and play better if we put ourselves in a position to get that rematch.
1: Adam has another question about the quarterback position. However, he apologizes for asking. Wait, uh, another what? question. We get a question about the quarterbacks? Right. Exactly. Like, I don't think
0: we've answered any questions all year about the so quarterbacks. So he wants
1: to know on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely do you think it is that Kirby makes a quarterback switch this weekend against Kentucky?
0: 1 to 10. So like 10 being he's definitely going to make a change? Is that what we're saying? Sure. Okay, so 1 being he's definitely not going to get a change. I'm going to go 2. I just – I don't – I don't think it's going to happen, guys. I, I know that we all wanted to because we, we're just about convinced, as a lot of us, that Stetson is not the answer. Like, we're not going to win national title with Stetson Bennett. And I want to be able to tell you there's light at the end of the tunnel. I really do. But I got to be honest here. I just don't see it happening. If you look at what happened during the bye week, yes, it was at least slightly encouraging that we saw reports that JT Daniels was getting a lot of snaps with the twos and some with the threes, and not all, he wasn't on the scout team. But my response to that is, well, we probably weren't doing a lot of scout team work, right? Because we didn't have a team that we were preparing for. I think we started Kentucky prep on Thursday. So if there's not really any scout work to be doing when well, the guy's got to take reps somewhere. So he's probably going to be taking reps with the twos and threes. So I don't know how much to read into that. I, honestly, I, I wouldn't put a ton of stock into that right now. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm missing something here. I just, I don't know how much faith I'm putting in that. Like that's a sign that he's getting closer and closer to being ready to play. I'm hopeful that that's the case, but I just, I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. And from all accounts, all the reports that I read was that Stetson was still getting the majority of the snaps with the one. So it didn't seem like there was much of a change in the pecking order during practice. So I just don't know how much hope we should have that it's gonna change who's gonna try it out there on Saturday against Kentucky. And also, if you pay attention to what Kirby said last week with his press conferences, his Tuesday press conference and the the SEC teleconference on Wednesday, when he was talking about the quarterback position, I mean, one of the statements he said, I think it was on the Tuesday press conference, is he was talking about how we've got to play better around Stetson. He didn't say we've got to play better around the quarterback position. He said Stetson, we've got to play better around him. And again, maybe I'm reading too much into things, but to me, what I took from that is that Stetson is still the guy. And maybe we're trying to get JT ready and we're trying to get him closer, but I just I don't have a ton of confidence that we're going to throw somebody other than Stetson out there against Kentucky. Like I said last week, I do think if there's going to be a change, it'd be after this bye week, and this is the time to do it when you actually go in there and get a bunch of guys, different reps with the ones and, and kind of open up the competition. I just don't, from what I understand, it just doesn't seem like that really happened this past week during the bye week. So I just don't have a ton of confidence it's going to happen. And who knows, maybe Daniels gets in there for a couple of series. I don't know. I just, again, I just, right now I would lean towards saying no. And in fact, I don't have a lot of confidence at all that we're going to see anyone other than Stetson Bennett on Saturday if it's not in mop-up time. So I'm going to go a two there. I'm not going to go a one because we do know that at least JT was getting some snaps from the twos, which he had not been doing all during the season. So maybe there's that small sliver of hope, but I'm certainly not very confident in that, but all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UJ podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Curtis and I will be back later on this week with our mid-season report card. No, it's not quite mid-season, but close enough, right? So we'll go with that later on this week, then we'll have our Kentucky preview, and of course, Charlie and I will be back to wrap things up at the end of the week with our week six picks of the week. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always,
1: go dogs.